In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Ryder. Hi, everybody. It's Andy Baskin alongside Daryl Ryder. We are super pumped to be with you and hanging out with you on our new podcast, It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. Daryl, I can't think of a more exciting time with the NFL draft and what the Browns did over the weekend uh, to get things kicked off. Absolutely. Going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to working with you here, Andy. And a lot to talk about. That's uh, the way it is with the Browns. There's never a dull moment. It was a busy weekend for them as they picked nine players. None of them came in the first two rounds of the draft. So busy weekend for the Browns, and we'll recap it for you today. Yeah, looking forward to that. By the way, just when you're listening, you're going to get insight. You're going to get perspective you're not getting anywhere else. And, of course, you're going to get interviews and all kinds of stuff, but it's on your time. And I think that's one of the things that Daryl and I are most excited about. All right, so let's hop right into it. Why is Baker Mayfield still on this team, Daryl? They can't get anyone to take him for what they want in return, number one. And then also number two, that salary, 188 Five eight million guaranteed dollars that has uh, stalled a lot of conversations, and uh, the Browns are going to have to pick up a, a significant chunk of that. And I think from Andrew Berry's perspective right now, what he is thinking is, if I have to cut a check for Baker Mayfield, regardless whether we keep him and pay him just not to play or we move on from him and get him onto his next team, then I'm going to get the return that I'm looking for. And he's not been able to get that just yet. And he's been going to be very, very patient with it. Uh, there was a lot of buzz Friday night. Maybe something could get done with Carolina. Uh, the Panthers obviously backed out of that. They selected a quarterback, traded into the third round to do that. And so things kind of fell apart rather quickly. And so back to square one go the Browns in trying to move on from Baker. But, you know, Andrew Barry is basically sitting there right now thinking that if I'm not getting what I want for him and I'm going to have to cut a big check regardless, then uh, I'm going to just uh, hang on to the player until, uh, you know, a situation pops up around the league where uh, a team maybe gets a little desperate and is willing to meet him halfway. Daryl, this is why I like Andrew Barry, because we're all sitting out here, and I, you never know where a media story is coming from. Like, there could be pressure, not pressure, but you never know. Baker's folks could be saying something. Somebody inside somebody inside Berea could be saying something, which I doubt, because I don't think Berea has to be in a hurry for this. I don't think Andrew Barry has to sit there and go, oh, we got to get rid of him today. And, Daryl, you and I have talked about this numerous times. There is no gun to the Browns' head to get this done. And when the rumors started flying around Carolina, I'm like, I hope they're getting what they want, and I hope they get something in return, because there's no one, no, no one has to say to Andrew Barry, "You need to trade him right now. You got to get this done." Other than fans and media, and then you wonder why the media would hop on this. Oh, the Browns got to get rid of him. He's he's not worth anything. They should just cut him. Absolutely not. There's no reason to cut him and just sit back, relax, and wait. That's why I like Andrew Barry because I don't think he buys into hype. He doesn't buy into the noise on everything that's going on on the outside. There isn't this like huge, oh, we got to get rid of him, we got to get rid of him. And if you need an example of that, go back and look at what happened with OBJ. They kind of did that on their time. Yes, they ended up releasing him in the end. I think they did OBJ a solid, but I also think 
that you know they did it on their time. So anyone that's sitting out there saying they got to trade him, he's not worth anything. I just don't think it's worth it. But Daryl, I'm still trying to figure out why beyond everything else it didn't work out with Carolina. Is it just money? I think I think the the money here is a major factor. The the Browns are going to have to pay a significant portion of that nearly $19 million salary that's guaranteed to Baker. And who would have thought, Andy, that last April, when they exercised that fifth-year option for Mayfield, who would have thought what a horrible decision ultimately that would end up being, right? At the time, it was a no-brainer. They were coming off an 11-5 and season. They had just beaten the Steelers uh, in the playoffs. They almost beat Kansas City. In Kansas City, in the divisional round, to get back to the AFC Championship game for the first time in, like, six generations, right? Right, right. And it just, it all fell apart in such a quick time. And look, make no mistake about it. Is there bad blood between NFL owners and the Haslams over the Deshaun Watson contract? No. But a lot of owners aren't necessarily thrilled with that contract either because it just, and we've talked about this, it changes the dynamic of how teams deal with not only superstar players in negotiations, but quarterbacks. Fully guaranteed $230 million. Now, there is this antiquated funding rule this escrow funding rule that is, uh, you know, part of the collective bargaining agreement. And it was originally put in place to basically ensure players that owners would not default on guaranteed contracts. Well, as we know today, Andy, the NFL just prints money, right? They've got so much, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue per team, okay? Pretty much when the NFL does a deal now, it's like the conversation begins with a B, not an M, but a B, as in billions of dollars, whether it's uh, media, whether it's, uh, you know, major, huge uh, programs. It, it, It is just an incredible cash cow these days. But the Haslam's next April, March, April, I'm not sure the date. Actually, I do think it's March, the new league year. They're going to have to put in to an escrow account about $180 to $185 million in cold, hard American cash, okay? They have to put that into an – Can they show up (laughs) at the bank with with coins? That would be awesome. Uh, I hope they pay in pennies. They've got to put that that into an escrow account, right? Right. So when you look at some of the the other smaller market teams, right? For instance, Cincinnati Bengals, who notor who are notorious, the Brown family notorious for being cheap, right? They never have any money. They can't pay anyone. Although recently here they they've backed up the Brinks truck for a couple of guys. Um, yeah, Baltimore trying to bring back Lamar Jackson and extend him and keep him around. I don't know what the Biscottis have in their bank accounts these days, but. $185 million is a lot of money, even to billionaires, right? So that changes the the way th- 
deals not only get done from an agent perspective and negotiating perspective, but just from the business side and how teams have to conduct business. So I think that this Deshaun Watson contract, you know, you got teams like Carolina Friday night, you know, they didn't, they're sitting there saying, Hey, yeah, would we like to have Baker Mayfield? Sure. But you're going to get what we're willing to give you. And we're going to pay basically what, we're willing to pay because if you can pay Deshaun Watson $230 million in guaranteed cash, well, you guys can kind of pay Baker Mayfield too if you want. Like, you know, there, there's no there's no motivation for a team to help the Browns out when it comes to covering that guaranteed salary. And I think that that's, you know, as I said earlier, Andy, I think that's a major component to this. This isn't, again, it's not that there's bad blood between owners and the Haslam's. It, like, this is just business. Hey, you know, you guys gave Deshaun all, right, so, all that money. Uh, you can yeah, you but know, Darryl, go me, ahead and take care of Baker. All right, let me jump into this just a little bit. Okay, first of all, when you said that the money going into escrow was antiquated and, and then laid it out, all I could think about was Art Modell not being able to pay Andre Risen and thankful, I think, for the players to have that escrow account. And then you brought up the other point about Mike Brown. Like, now all of a sudden Mike Brown's going to have to start offering money and maybe – it's a way that that escrow account is a way for the owners to push around owners that don't want to put the money in that they're putting in. Now, I don't think they're going to shove Mike Brown out at this point, considering his family's been in it since 1970, just in Cincinnati alone. So, But I, I, don't, I don't really have a problem with that escrow account. In fact, I like it. I, I think it's a great idea. It puts pressure on the owners. And you're never going to have another Andre Risen situation where – you know, Al's got to turn and go to uh, Al Lerner and try to get some money to pay for a wide receiver, and the next thing you know, he's moving his team out of town because he can't afford it. So I, I do think that that safeguard of that escrow account has some merit to it. Why do you think it's antiquated? Well, the reason it's antiquated is just because of the hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. that not just, It's not the local revenue, too. I mean, a lot of teams' right. payrolls are already covered before they even sell a single ticket or a hot dog or a hat in the team shop. Like, um, they're already covered. Uh, the, the Packers' annual report will be coming out here uh, you know, pretty soon for the, the, the previous fiscal year, and that's how, because they're uh, public, that's kind of how we figure out just how the financial picture looks for the National Football League and its 32-member uh, clubs. So that, to me, is why it's antiquated because I, you have to be really, 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 really Art Modell bad to default right. on something these days if you're an owner uh, of a team. But to your point, that's exactly why. The Andre Risen, I remember that. Art Modell was going from bank to bank because he was broke. And he ultimately ended up going to Al Lerner and saying, hey, I need like, I don't know, what was it, $17 million at the time? Was that what Andre Risen yeah, got from the Browns? Crazy. It was, a, rec yeah. it was it a record contract. I do remember that. Right. And so he gets the money from Al Lerner, and then it's and he he kept going to Al Lerner for money, and that's the one of the many backstories of how the Browns, the original Browns, ended up in Baltimore to become the Ravens. Was Al Lerner got tired of writing checks to Art Modell to to cover free agent and team and stadium expenses? Because also remember, Art Modell owned and operated. Cleveland Municipal Stadium which was a dump and falling apart and right. they were still trying to figure out what to do with that 
Uh, it was basically the Oakland Coliseum, like what the A's in before they moved to Las Vegas, the Raiders dealt with out in Oakland. And that's right. how they, you know, Al, the famous signing the deal on the tarmac at BWI in Baltimore uh, to move the team. That was Al Lerner's way of getting his money back. And then the NFL rewarded Al by giving him the expansion team. So, um, but yeah, that is the whole purpose behind this escrow account. And, and again, like Joe, when Joe Burrow comes up for an extension, you know, Mike Brown's going to have to, you're going to have to, you know, find that money to put into that escrow account. I think what's going to happen though, Andy, they will change that rule. I, I, within the next 12 months, that rule gets changed for this very purpose to kind of level the playing field. And again, because of the hundreds of millions of dollars that are coming out of the league office to each respective NFL team. I don't think you have to worry about owners defaulting on their uh, contracts with players like you had to worry about with terrible owners like Art Modell. Yeah, a quick side story. You know, you were com- you were comparing what was Oakland Alameda County Coliseum with the old stadium. My dad worked at the old stadium, and every once in a while I'd get to go down with him. And there was a parking uh, – there was a like a parking lot that the workers used to get to – park in that was pretty close to the stadium on the north side where the railroad tracks were and it was like I don't it was like cinder that you could go but if you got there early enough in the morning I used to look at my dad he would grab some change uh some pennies before we leave or if you pick up a couple rocks here and there when we got out of the car he would throw them because the 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 rats would scamper from back there that's how nasty (laughs) it was in that parking lot isn't that gross the the stadium was a dump but it was our dump when I would Oakland go to games, a horrible, horrible place too. It, it really Sorry. is. I, I I went to one A's game way, way, way back in the day before they built Mount Davis. And when remember the, the the grassy Knoll Hill and the outfield that they used to have. But when I yeah, go, was, when I used to that wasn't before yeah, they put it, that in there. It was a beautiful stadium. Yeah, it was a beautiful view, and then they put Mount Davis in and ruined it. But I, I would remember okay, at the old stadium, anytime they'd shoot the fireworks off when the Indians would hit home runs, uh, we'd sit in the upper deck. Stuff would just fall on our heads. I have no idea what that stuff was, what was in that stuff. I'm guessing a little lead, maybe some asbestos. I don't know. But just like every time we would a rain shower of goo and stuff falling from the roof because that place was so old and brittle. Uh, All right, so let's do this. We're going to talk about the draft, what the Browns actually did. I want to talk about next steps for Baker, where he could end up. So if you like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. We love having you on board. We love the fact that you're listening to us right now. Listen to our podcast feed. And, you know, just remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, welcome back to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. I'm Andy Baskin. He's Daryl Ryder. We're really excited you're alongside with us. And remember, if you like what you're listening to, subscribe to our podcast feed. So, Daryl, when we left, I just we were talking about Baker Mayfield and what's next. I'm still shocked that I still read, and I shouldn't say shocked. That's not the right word because I was talking about this last week. What's next for Baker and where might be the best landing spots for him? And as I was reading some stuff again last night, and I keep saying this, Detroit still seems like a decent fit for him. And if John Dorsey's there, I'm not saying he has the ultimate power. Like We were doing this during our show, and Jeff was, like, reading off the order of names on their on their website. And he's like, uh, John Dorsey's, like, seventh or eighth in name. I'm like, Jeff, that doesn't mean anything. Because of the way they're ordered on the, on the website, that doesn't mean who's in power. And if somebody wants to listen to John, and you've got a coach there that has that same flair and panache, maybe his word, or chutzpah, 
might be the other word that, that Baker Mayfield has, then you know what? Maybe Detroit could be a good landing spot for him. Where does Baker end up, Daryl Ryder? Where does he end up? I think Seattle still makes the most sense for Baker. But I think that the Seahawks are doing what a, a good team would do, and that is wait it out. Uh, when you look at the Lions and you know their particular situation, you know, Jared Goff obviously is a, a pretty sizable cap hit for them. It's over $30 million uh, this year. So I think that that might be a, uh, a bit of a factor uh, when you talk about budgeting and, and, and those type of things. Um, but look, I get it. The connection between John Dorsey, who drafted Baker Mayfield, and the Detroit Lions, who may or may not be sold uh, on Jared Goff as their long-term solution at quarterback. Um, but I still think the Seattle Seahawks, it, it, for Baker to step in and be a starter, make the most sense. The other part of this, too, is that right now, the starting market, right? The starting market's not all that great. There's not a lot of openings uh, around the National Football League right now for Baker Mayfield to step in and start. Uh, Sam Darnold's going to start for the Carolina Panthers. That organization made that very clear over the weekend that he is their starter, right? Uh, we know right. the, the uh, Washington Commanders called the Browns about Baker before they traded for Carson Wentz. Before Tom Brady came out of retirement, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did their due diligence and placed a phone call to Andrew Barry uh, to check on Baker Mayfield's availability. But as soon as Brady came back, poof, those talks obviously ended. The Indianapolis Colts decided to trade with the Atlanta Falcons for 37-year-old Matt Ryan, or soon to be, I should say, 37-year-old Matt Ryan, instead of going with a much younger Baker Mayfield. So, you know, that afternoon when – the dominoes started to fall. The New Orleans Saints didn't want Baker Mayfield, and their quarterback situation is less than ideal. So that is right now, from my perspective, I think the multi-million dollar question, where will Baker Mayfield end up? I thought for sure that he was going to get traded over the weekend because the team would be motivated to get him into their building this offseason. Like, to learn their system and get him ready for day one of training camp. So I really felt like the draft was the perfect opportunity to do that. I was clearly wrong. Nobody right now seems to be motivated to trade for Baker. All right, last word on Baker Mayfield, because I do want to talk about what the Browns actually did with draft picks. The 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 fact, like, I, I was so happy Kenny Pickett got picked by the Steelers because it just reiterated what I thought all along about Baker going to Pittsburgh. And I had heard last week that Mike Tomlin wanted nothing to do with him. Or at least that's what I heard. I'm not saying that that's 1,000% factual, but from what I had heard, Mike Tomlin wanted nothing to do with Baker Mayfield. And let's be honest, I don't know that, that was more I ever thought creation. that he fit their system. I, I agree. But then the media also bought into it. Media, oh, you know, and uh, we love. I love Mary Kay, and I'm sure Mary Kay got it from a good source. And there were others out there saying that Pittsburgh would take Baker in a moment. Well, were they really trying to do, force the Browns? Maybe it was just rumor mill stuff trying to force the Browns to cut him because there was – and there was no way the Browns were going to cut him and then let him walk across the street to Pittsburgh. That wasn't happening. 
And so and when they also took you Kenny forget Pickett, going into the so draft might have been a smokescreen. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely, I believe that. So can we just put to bed the whole Baker-Steelers thing? And now they've got Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph. I mean, there, there's just no way Baker ends up in Pittsburgh. It would take both quarterbacks getting hurt, and they would have to have a super emergency for him. And then they would end up having to pay the Browns to bring him in. I don't ever see that. At least this year. Not happening. But, right, again, fair enough. Going, in, going into the draft, stuff gets thrown out there. And this was before they took Pickett, that that came out. So, sure, that, you know, to throw teams off the scent of what they were planning in the, uh, in the first round there by going quarterback, you know, it didn't hurt them to have that rumor out there that maybe they would have some interest in bringing in Baker Mayfield. But, yeah, Andrew Berry's not cutting Baker. Like, that is very, very apparent and very clear. They are not going to cut Baker Mayfield because they still have to pay him his guaranteed salary. Baker Mayfield is getting $18.858 million, whether that comes in whole or part from the Cleveland Browns or another team. He is getting that money, and he's getting it whether he plays or he doesn't play. He's getting it if he starts or he doesn't start. He is getting that money. Uh, if he's sitting on his couch in, uh, in his home in Austin, Texas, or if he's uh, chilling out in Berea, which I don't think uh, he's going to be doing. I think that the Browns will tell him that he is more than welcome to stay home for the June minicamp and that he won't have to report to Berea. I think that, that honestly, that would be the smart thing. The team doesn't need that kind of distraction. They brought in three quarterbacks this offseason. Baker Mayfield will never play another down for the Cleveland Browns, so it's just easier for everybody to move on if they say, hey, Baker, stay home in Austin, keep doing your rehab and all that, and we're doing what we can to find you a new team. Unfortunately, right now, no one's really lining up to, to get you, and I, I think that they're going to go to training camp with him on this roster. I don't think Baker gets traded anytime soon. All right, last note on Pittsburgh. Uh, Mike Tomlin also said, that Kenny Pickett's going to have a chance to compete. So if you're a Menor fan, uh, Mitch Trubisky's got his work cut out for him because they want to give Pickett a chance to be the starter week one, which I, I was floored when I heard Tomlin say that on ESPN over the weekend. So good for him, and uh, Mitch has got some work, or Mitchell, I should say, as his mom would want us to say, uh, has some work to do as well. All right, let's get into the draft itself. Um, you know, I, you, I don't know if you had heard the same, but I had been hearing the Browns wanted to get out of 44 like for the last couple of weeks, they were trying to accumulate picks and get more. That's what they ended up doing when it was all said and done. And then they ended up taking Martin Emerson, a quarterback, a cornerback, with that first pick that they had at 68 in the third round. Daryl, I, I was a little shocked by this because I just thought that, was a, that wasn't exactly a position of need. There were other wide receivers on the board. Yet, when you look at the big picture when it's all said and done, I, I get it. I understand it. I just... I think fans wanted a wide receiver at that point, or they wanted a defensive end, or they wanted some kind of defensive interior guy, and they were looking at what was on the board, and therefore you elevate yourself into disappointment as a fan. As a front office, you can kind of see what they were doing. Yeah, you know, I did not have them taking a corner in with their first, at all in the draft, let alone with their first pick uh, in the draft. Um I didn't think that they would be drafting a running back at all, uh, but they took uh, Jerome Ford in the fifth round. And I, uh, you know, did not have them drafting a center either. And they, uh, you know, in the seventh round added uh, Dawson Deaton. So uh, three positions that, and I wrote in my preview, I'm like, okay, offensive line, they seem to be pretty good there, right? 
right. quarterback, they're definitely good there. They're absolutely overflowing with talent at running back. They don't have enough carries for those guys, so odds of them taking a running back or next to none. And, oh, yeah, corner, they're pretty stacked there. They've made a lot of investment at that position in recent years. They won't be taking a corner. Once again, going to show that I know absolutely nothing because he took three of their nine <laughs> picks with guys that were, they're overflowing with talent. I guess you can never have too many good centers on your your football team they got Nick Harris who they drafted a couple years ago in 2020 in the fifth round they signed Ethan Posick this offseason uh as a free agent from Seattle and then they bring in uh Dawson Deaton who's uh, gonna be competing with those two guys too uh, as we got deeper into the draft I just said because they you know accumulated picks they started with seven they ended up with nine players they got a couple of picks for next year as well with uh, the two trades that they were, you know, able to make. And I was just like, well, I guess Andrew Berry's just filling out the practice squad this weekend. Maybe. I, I, when I looked at this draft and I was just trying to be realistic about it, I said, well, there are two guys here that we're going to see right away out of all that they picked. And I just think David Bell has the best shot of, of getting time. I, you know, I, I, I think people were generally excited when they saw him because they've seen him because he right. played for Purdue, the wide receiver. So I think that's – and it's an offensive guy, and I, I think that's one of the reasons. Like, I'm always concerned about these drafts when the Browns don't have a first or, in this case, didn't have a second either, um, to bring in Martin Emerson, that there's too much pressure on whoever is, like, the, the marquee name in a draft. I don't feel that way, and I really think that David Bell has the best opportunity to have the biggest impact outside of the kicker situation, which we're going to talk about in one second. But it, it, do you see anybody that can break through early on that's going to be able to see significant time early on? I think Bell has the best opportunity because the wide receiving core needs help. Unless they start bringing in free agent wide receivers, i, I got to believe Bell's, Bell's looking pretty good to be on the field to start the season if, if, if he looks good in camp. And it also speaks to how they feel about Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones, who uh, were also picked uh, in recent years. Peoples-Jones, of course, drafted in the sixth round in 2020. Schwartz, they took him last year uh, in the third round. Yeah, I, I do think that we are going to see uh, Martin Emerson. They basically uh, opened up an opportunity for him by trading Troy Hill, who had spent six years with the L.A. Rams before he came to Cleveland last year to join the Browns. They sent him back to the Rams uh, uh, during the draft. So I, I think Martin Anders, uh, Emerson is going to get an opportunity uh, as you know their top pick. Fun fact for you, the, okay. 68, the, the 68th overall pick, uh, which is where the Browns got Emerson, that is the latest – that the Browns picked a player since 2008. They made a selection 104th overall in round number four because they traded their – remember, they traded their first rounder to Dallas yeah. in 2007 to get Brady Quinn. Bo Bell. Yeah. Yes, congratulations. Bell. You're a winner. Yes. They ended the up – The only reason I know is <laughs> – I looked it up last week. I was like, oh, remember Bo Bell? Yeah. And then remember, there was hype. At that point, there was a little bit of hype for Bo Bell because yeah, the, he was the first. Oh, was. Bo Bell. We got this Bo Bell guy. Like, well, and they what? had, had – remember, like they traded round. their second rounder to the Packers for Corey Williams, and their third rounder oh. went to Detroit for Sean Rogers. So, yeah, how about that? That was the, the latest uh, that they had drafted or picked a player since 2008, the legend Bo 
freaking Bell. Okay, so beyond Bo Bell, the biggest question of the weekend I know I heard, and I'll ask you yours here in a second. Well, you tell me yours first, and then just give me the question people asked you most, and we'll see if it was the same. What was the question? How many how, how many kids do they need? <laughs> okay, are they picking, the are they picking a player anytime soon? Well, that, that wasn't a bad one either. The other one, it was like, oh, my God, they picked a kicker in the fourth round. I heard that from probably 15 people. Now, as people were saying this to me, I was like, you know, they kind of need a kicker, especially when your guy that you had last year was only kicking about 75%, if not less. Um, they needed a kicker. So uh, we actually – Andrew Barry talked about why they took a kicker. We certainly thought that was a possibility. You know, we, you saw that little specialist run in the fourth round, you know, when, you know, kicker, and I think it was either two or three punters that went off, you know, shortly afterwards. You know, realized that's a little high for where kickers typically go, but, you know, we do think that he's a, an excellent prospect and, you know, has a chance to be a good kicker for a long time. All right, well, we saw, we've seen what's going on in Cincinnati. We've seen what's going on across, you know, across the NFL. I don't have a real problem with them picking a kicker in the fourth round, especially if this guy's going to be here for the next, you know, seven to ten years is that a possibility Daryl? what do you think what are you hearing about Cade York well they didn't draft him to cut him so uh Chase McLaughlin it's been a pleasure uh good luck in your future endeavors uh, <laughs> or on the practice squad um look I mean th- this kid's got a big leg too and his record-setting field goal came in the fog <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we 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 right. talked to him. We talked to him about that. It was a Florida State that they beat the number six uh, at the time in December of 2020, and he bangs home this 57-yard field goal in the fog. And he was asked about it. You know, kicking in weather here in Cleveland he goes, "Yeah, that wasn't so much a weather problem as it was a vision problem." <laughs> it's a good thing those uprights were painted bright yellow. But um, yeah, I, I mean. I wasn't surprised that they drafted a kicker. I, I wasn't. I was a little surprised that in the fourth round they did draft the kicker. Um, they they love this guy's leg, can distance with accuracy. It reminds me back when um, when John Dorsey was here and they drafted Austin Seibert, right? And ever again, yeah. s- similar reaction. Like so, really, they're, they're, yeah. they 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 drafted a kicker. So little fun story for you. After the draft, uh, you know, some time had passed. Uh, Dorsey invited. Uh, the beat writers to to come out the bridge just to kind of sit around a table and uh, you know talk about the draft. So we're we're sitting there and he pulls up the Austin Seibert tape right because he's going through each guy right. and, and what they really liked about each player. And so he puts up the Austin Seibert tape and Seibert's just banging home these sixty five yarders off a tee in at his like pro day workout or whatever right and it's pretty impressive. Right, right. and. And he's like, this kid's got a great leg. Yeah, yeah, right. But he's doing it on a tee with no rush. And I, I remember turning to Dorsey and I said, you got any game film of this guy? Is he banging home 65 yarders in a game? Because I don't remember Austin Seibert wow. hitting 65 yarders for Oklahoma. He goes, oh, not a problem. Their offense was so good. He was, you know, because really, I mean, he was kicking like extra points. I right. think like one of his longest field goals, like 38 yards, 40 yards, something like that in college or whatever. But, you know, when you look at Cade York, and the distance, and not just does he have a long leg there, Andy, and can hit those long field goals. He did it with regularity. He had 15 field goal makes in college of over 50 yards, and I would argue it's harder to kick a field goal in college 
than it is oh. the pros because because the hash marks the are wider yeah. and you have to angle better. You you, yeah. you so I think it's tougher to kick field goals in college than it is in the National Football League. Not so much from I'm I'm just talking about for lining it up and 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 those type of things because those hash marks are wider in the college game. So um I I like where Andrew Berry's head was at. I, I also feel like that he didn't want uh, to risk allowing him to get taken by another team. And also remember that a couple of picks before that, he got his buddy Kwesi uh, Adofumensu on the phone and made a trade with the 118th pick, sending that to the Vikings. So uh, there was a little, I think, some urgency there. That was their third pick that they went into the fourth round with. So I- I'm not surprised they drafted a kicker. little surprised that Cade came in round number four. Uh, the one thing about Cade York was I was listening to that post game press conference, but he's post draft press conference. He's kind of cocky, and I think we need that for a kicker right now. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe. It's always game day in Cleveland, wherever you listen to podcasts. We love having you on board. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the draft, what we saw, and some behind the scenes stuff you're not going to want to miss. Uh, you're listening to it's always game day in Cleveland. Stick around. All right, we are just talking draft. It's always game day here in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Daryl, one of the things about the draft, you know, we talked about who can play. We talked about who's going to have an impact right away, what what they can do. But I thought it was interesting, and, and you did too, as we were talking before the show, that the Browns did draft positions that you may not have expected them. Uh, running back, center, tackle, some of those things. And, and Andrew Barry talked about that in his press conference after the draft. Look, having competition, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have. And I think oftentimes your needs or area of strengths today aren't necessarily the same as, as tomorrow. We want to go into camp with as deep of a team as possible, whether it's you know, for injury or other you know, opportunities that may arise. But you know, we would view that as a good problem to have. Daryl, they stuck with their board, and I'm okay with that. Because, you know, it, look, if, if things don't work out, GMs get fired, head coaches get fired. And if you're going to go into a draft, you better believe in what you have. And I think that's what they did. So even if you were surprised they took a cornerback with their first pick or they ended up taking a center later in the draft uh, with uh, what Dawson Deaton, right, uh, with the last pick uh, that they had, that, you know, they did what they wanted to do and they stuck to their board. I don't your thoughts on that. This draft was all about depth. It, it really was. When, from the, the first selection in uh, the third round, uh, all the way through the seventh round. It was 100% about depth. They drafted two wide receivers uh, to help them out, David Bell and Michael Woods the second. Added a third center in Dawson Deaton in, in round seven. Added a fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth running back in, uh, in the fifth round, which was a little surprising, in, in Jerome Ford from Cincinnati. And uh, we got to see a lot of Cincinnati this, this past year. So uh, Jerome's a really good football player. They're, they're going to have to trade one or two running backs here uh, in the coming months to get more assets, right, uh, to, to add even more draft picks going forward because I, I don't think that they'll bring in a player. But, you know, I could see them trading one of or two uh, running backs, Kareem Hunt to Ernest Johnson. Maybe they trade Demetric Felton. Maybe they trade, uh, you know, John Kelly or something. But – they're loaded at running back, and yet they brought in an, uh, another kid uh, to help them out at that position. Defensive end, right? We, we had gone in and talked a lot about the defensive line and the lack of depth 
uh, that they have. Well, what did they do? They they brought they got two uh, defensive linemen, um, uh, Alex Wright, who uh, they uh, took in the third round, Isaiah Thomas uh, in the seventh round. Uh, you know, Perry and Winfrey, uh, they got him in the fourth round, uh, adding another cornerback, uh, making room basically by trading Troy Hill back to the Rams for, uh, you know, Martin Emerson. Uh, I think there's a good chance you're going to see him on the field. So this draft really was all about depth. And these players, you know, I, I think fans need to have a little perspective. The days of the Browns drafting their starting lineup every year are in the rearview mirror. So when you look at the nine players that they picked, don't expect that these kids are all going to come in and be starters and first off the bench, significant role players. A couple of guys will earn some opportunity, but I think a lot of these players are going to be in the draft develop category. So I just want to caution fans, you know, their first pick wasn't until the third round. Again, not, not to say you can't get players in the third round, it can be long-term contributors for you. It happens all the time in the National Football League. But all nine picks for the Cleveland Browns came in the third round and later. So have a little perspective, fans. All right. There were a lot of you know, like little things behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> and I can't stop laughing thinking about Perry Winfrey and the way he was. I mean, look, if, ba- if they need someone to find someone to do commercials – now that we probably won't see any more Baker Mayfield commercial for Progressive, which, by the way, I think he should embrace and they should show him, like, moving into a new house. Because I I think it would be really funny if he did it from another venue. He should embrace it, but I think he needs to find another team before he talks. On the move with Baker Mayfield. (laughs) I think it would be fantastic. uh, Boom. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if um, I don't know if uh, Baker wants to uh, make fun of himself at this point because of the way things I are, would. and I, I would too. I'm all about the self-deprecating humor. I'm, you know, no yeah. one's gonna say anything to me that I, it, I haven't it, already said about myself. So same thing with with Baker. I think that uh, he could have some fun if he continues with with that ad, ad campaign because those commercials were great. And, I, I mean, I know the you know, Baker Mayfield makes better commercials than he is a quarterback. Look, Baker Mayfield's a, a solid starting quarterback in the National Football League. But, yeah, I, I think it would be awesome if he, you know, kind of had some fun with that. But when you talk about big personality, like Perry and Winfrey straight up brought the heat from the moment he jumped on Zoom with us in the media room. Like, it, I've been a part of a lot of introductory press conferences in my day. I'm going to tell you right now, Perry and Winfrey takes the cake. He is the all-time greatest introductory press conference trophy winner in my mind. You got to hear this. A dog mentality. Come on now. I'm coming in and kill right away with my boys. I'm lined up next to Miles Garrett, the best defensive end in the game. It's over with. I'm telling you, it's over with. I'm going to come in and work every single day till I can't work no more. They will feel me every single day. So I'm going to give it my all on and off the field. Anything that is negative in my game, I will turn into a positive by the beginning of the season. <laughs> Can you imagine him in the room with Jordan Elliott and Tommy Togia right now? <laughs> and what's he going to be saying to those guys? Look out. I'm coming. I'm coming. This is my pet. Jordan Elliott, you're out of here, man. I'm standing next to Miles Garrett. I, it's it's fun. It's infectious. I just wonder how those rookies play once they start meeting veterans at camp. Well, Miles Garrett loved it because he, he grabbed that clip and put it on his Instagram feed on Sunday. So he absolutely loved the big energy 
uh, that uh, Winfrey brought in his intro, and he kept it going because, uh, you know, how it works is um, after they make the pick and, you know, sometimes uh, someone from the front office will come down to talk to us or Kevin Stefanski will come down and talk to us, but they get the player on uh, either the phone or in, in today's world now on Zoom. And so he was pacing around his house. The sweat was dripping down his face. He, this is how in, <laughs> intense it was, like just pouring down his face. Like where was the Ray Farmer towel guy to help my guy out here? <laughs> he, he was sweating profusely as he's walking around his house. And so when he's done with us, then what they do is they kick him upstairs to hop on uh, the radio network. And I guess like he just picked up where he left off in talking to us. It will mean the world to me to be able to play with Miles Garrett. We're going to dominate offensive lines. We're going to make the offensive line fear before the game watching the field. Like, damn, I got to go against them next week. You so do. It's going to be a movie every week with me and my brothers on that defense. The dog pound is back. I'm telling you. I mean, how oh my God. I hope this guy can deliver. I hope he can deliver. Can you imagine that after every game? Daryl, I mean, especially when they win. I can't imagine him being – I hope he settles down if they lose. But I, I just – on a win, oh, my God. You know how great – how many clips we're going to have of this kid left and right? I, I really hope it I, – I just – I hope he doesn't lose that passion. Matt, it's so much fun. But, again, I still think that, like, older veterans are going to be like, uh, okay, man, simmer down now. It's a long season. <laughs> Can you imagine I, if you brought that every I, day to practice? I really hope he's a starter and we get to talk to him every week because he's going to win the good guy award from us and he's going to have the top 10 quotes of the year. I like, I, I see it already. So I'm with you. I, I hope he's able to come in and have an impact and, and deliver, love the energy, love the fact that, you know, he even said came from nothing. Uh, the fact that he fell to the fourth round to the Browns is motivation for him. He didn't think he was going to go that yeah. late in the draft. So that come, not that he actually needs a chip on his shoulder because listening to the guy, you're ready to run through a brick wall yourself. But yeah, I mean, that was an all time great introductory press conference. I mean, as he's talking, we're all looking at each other in the media room like, okay, this is a guy we do not want to make angry. Are we all in agreement here? Okay, right. <laughs> number one, number two, we need to talk to this dude every week because he has the potential because of it. He's got that big personality. He's got the potential to be a star. He really, really does. Hopefully he can deliver on the field because obviously you want him to be a star on the field and uh, not necessarily in front of the microphones. The other, the other story that I thought was kind of cool. I mean, just, there, just, there's so many little stories when it comes to a draft, but you know, I was hoping that uh, Tyreek Smith was going to get drafted by the Browns because I knew they needed a defensive end. I didn't know how he would fit. I thought they would need a little bit more of a powerful, the kid from Ohio State who went to Cleveland Heights, and obviously Cleveland Heights is a school I care about. But I thought it was really cool that his brother Malik, who played basketball, got invited into rookie minicamp to try to give him a shot as a tight end for a kid that played basketball his whole career. His dad was a hell of a basketball player at Cleveland Heights, and then he went and played college basketball, and Ty was trying to convince him to play football, play football, play football. So, I, I don't know. That was like one of the little outside stories that I really kind of enjoyed. But, you know, I'm following that because that hits home for me. I don't Give me another story that you thought from over the weekend that was kind of cool. 
Well, so when they drafted Kate York, um, guess who was in the field house kicking? Greatest name of all, by the way, name Hall of Fame. Right. Chris Blewin, I guess, was in the field house working out and kicking. And the the Browns ended up drafting Cade York. But um, I, I just hope Chris sticks around because, like I said, he's got, like, the greatest name of all time, especially for a kicker, right? Oh, no, Chris right. Blewin, no. Oh, my goodness gracious. But, yeah, uh, he, he was he, he was hanging around. But um, Did anybody yeah, talk they, to him? No, no. Uh, just uh, I, I, I had heard he was in the building, um, but yeah. And they, did he and they walk out of the guys... building? I was gonna say, did he walk out of the building with a box in his hand? No, I'm pretty sure. Uh, sources tell me he still has a locker <laughs> in the room. He still okay. has a locker. Okay, good. Uh, because good. remember the c word. Andrew Barry loves the c word. Competition. I oh, like the d true. word. Depth. Um, but. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's just when you look at everything that they did, right? Because we're when the draft's over, you know, you're you're breaking it down, you're trying to figure out what what they did, why they did it, you know, who fits where, who's going to play immediately, and and whatnot. Um, I, I think undrafted free agents. Um, look, they tight end is a position which they still need some help. Let, let's be honest about it. Behind David Njoku uh, and Harrison Bryant. Uh, you know, they, they don't have a lot there. They have some questions. So uh, that could be an opportunity for an undrafted uh, rookie free agent. Um, when you, you look on the defensive side, if you were a defensive lineman not named uh, Miles Garrett, you've got a very good opportunity not only to win a starting spot, but uh, to be one of those uh, contributing rotational players, as we've seen with Joe Woods. He likes rotating his defensive linemen, uh, you know, in and out of the ball game there. So, there's going to be some opportunities for these kids to have an impact. But, again, I go back to what I said earlier, Andy. Fans just need to – I realize the draft is, has been the Browns' Super Bowl. And it, it was funny Thursday night as I'm watching the draft and I'm watching the reaction from around the country because I knew the Browns weren't trading it, uh, back in. And everyone's taking victory laps. Everybody had the greatest draft ever. Everybody's winning Super right. Bowls after the draft Thursday night. And – I had to throw a cold bucket of water on everyone, and I tweeted out, listen, all y'all taking your victory laps, take a chill pill. The Cleveland Browns have been Super Bowl champions of the NFL draft for basically the last 25 years. They have a total of zero trophies in the case to show for it, so take a chill pill. I'm glad everyone's all hyped and excited and thinking they just won the Super Bowl with their first-round pick, including the Pittsburgh Steelers with Kenny Pickett, but let's you know take a deep breath. But, yeah, fans got to just kind of take a – Take a deep breath here. These are third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. They're going to get some opportunities here to contribute, but a lot of these are draft and develop depth player moves that Andrew Barry made over the weekend. All right, Daryl. Well, thank you, and thank you to everybody that was listening today on the podcast. We appreciate you taking time from listening to your office podcast to sit on in and enjoy enjoy a little bit of Browns talk here. Um, it's always game day in Cleveland. We're, we're glad to have you on board, and if you like what you were listening to, remember to subscribe to the show on our podcast feed, and you know, go wherever you listen to podcasts so you can always know that it's always game day in Cleveland.